Well, good morning. You guys made it up here. Um, there, are, there are more real Christians this week than there were last week. Um, that's good to see. I'm just kidding. Um, but, uh, you know, the, talking about the cross and singing about the cross, and as we've been looking at uh, Ezekiel, we've been kind of seeing uh, kind of the, the issues of mankind. Um, we see this as the issues of Israel at, at the time of Ezekiel, but really these are the issues of mankind. Um, and one of the things we have a tendency to joke about, make light about, is judgment. Um, this last week, my sister, uh, Bonnie was singing there, but my other sister, Jenny, lives in Michigan right now. She can't wait to leave. Um, but uh, she took a picture of her yard, and in her yard there was this big snow drift. Um, now, I shared with her, I said, when I lived in Denver, we used to get one of those across my driveway. I'd get out there, and I'd shovel the driveway, and you'd think you're all done. You'd walk out there an hour later, and the snow had blown right across it again. You got to do it all over again. It was so wonderful. Um, and uh, what I told her is I said, there will be snow in hell, unmelting snow, right? And it was, it was a joke, and we tend to make light, we tend to make light of, of judgment. We tend to make light of hell. We joke about it. But the fact of the matter is that as we've gone through this, we've seen that there, there is a seriousness to God's judgment. There is a seriousness that the paths of our lives create the destination of our eternity, uh, the path that you set yourself on here in this life is the path that you will have throughout eternity. And that's really one of the things that we're going to see with this chapter, Ezekiel chapter 7. Now, uh, it's been a while, so, and some of you missed last week, so I'll give you the, the quick synopsis of chapter 6. But before I do that, uh, each word, there's kind of been a key, each week there's been a key word. Chapter 4, the key word was iniquity. And that means to be twisted or bent. And he's referring to, God refers to our, our nature, the core of who we are, as iniquitous. That it's twisted, it's bent, uh, it's irritated and confused. That God had an initial design and that, the, that sin and the fall twisted our nature. We're broken. We don't come into this world whole and complete. We come into it off of what God had initially designed. And then in chapter 5, we saw the key word was rebel, and that means to be obstinate and uncooperative in attitude, and then to have corresponding actions. It's like a teenager, right? Uh, I know better than you, and I'm going to go make my own decisions, and I'm going to figure this out for myself, and you kind of stiff-arm authority, and you go do your own thing. And that's also a characteristic of humankind. When Jesus died on the cross, he died next to, it says, thieves or criminals, but they were, they were rebels. They were, they were insurrectionists against Rome, and that's how Jesus was viewed, and that's the charge that stuck. He died as a rebel, and the amazing thing is, is that he died for us as rebels. He died for our rebellion against God. And then last week, uh, chapter 6, the key word was harlot, and that's to abandon someone for intimacy with another. And what we saw last week was that God had a, had a charge against His people, and it's that they were, they were engaging in idol worship. They had removed the Most High, God Himself, Elohim. They had moved God from His position and His place as the Most High, and they had put something else there. Um, now, they were worshiping the gods of their time, of the people around them, gods like Baal and Asherah, but what people have done is they've done that for centuries, for ever since the fall. We've removed God from His place, and we've put something else there. Now, in, in our day and age, we don't walk into temples that made up for Artemis or something like that. Artemis was the god of hunting. Um, and so we don't, we don't walk into a temple 
for, that says Artemis on it, but we do walk into places where we worship those types of things, okay? And so we can put idols, we can still take something that people have always worshipped, removed God from his position, and put it there and worship that instead. And what God says is when we do that, we sell ourselves to another. We abandon the intimacy that he created us to have with him. We abandon that intimacy with him, and we seek intimacy with something else, Okay? And that was the charge that he had against them, that they had abandoned him and his relationship, uh, desiring intimacy with them, and they'd given themselves in intimacy, literally sold themselves in intimacy to something else. Okay? Now this week, we see the key word, and these are, these are truths of humankind. Uh, we, we are iniquitous, we are rebels, and we have sold ourselves, instead of relationship with God and our Creator, we've sold ourselves into relationship with something else. And then the word this week, the key word is profane, and it means to pollute or defile, to treat as common and disposable. Um, now, when, when he talks about his holy places, he said that they've been profane, they've been polluted or defiled. Uh, in other words, the places where you would go to worship me that are intended to be a place where you would know me and you would know my truth, those places have been polluted and defiled. In other words, you've brought other ideas about who God is into that place and replaced the true image of God was something else. Now, we can do this in a lot of different ways. People do this with Jesus all the time. There's a true biblical, historical Jesus that we find on the pages of Scripture, but it's very easy to pollute him and defile him with ideas of other, uh, other, other religions, other cultures, uh, whatever suits my fancy. Um, we do this with Jesus. We pollute Him. We defile Him. We don't leave Him pure as the Scriptures spell Him out, but instead we bring in other ideas and we tweak Him just a little bit so that we can be comfortable and continue in whatever sin we have in our lives. Okay, But this is what people had done. They polluted and defiled God in His holy places. The other thing that they'd done is they treated, treated, him, treated him as common and disposable. Uh, they treated Him as something that you could just get rid of. Now, uh, there's some places where you can see this happen. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen this happen in a marriage relationship. Two people, uh, they, they seek each other out, um, and they, they, they long to be with each other, and they, they commit their lives to each other, and they say, I want you and only you. And then at some point in time, they, 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 they move from saying, I want you and only you, and they start treating their spouse as common and disposable. Yeah, she takes care of the house. Yeah, she washes the dishes. Yeah, she does this. Yeah, she does that. Yeah, she does the other thing. Or yeah, he does this. And yeah, he does that. And they start treating each other not as this holy, intimate bond that they long to have with each other, but they start treating each other as just the other person on the other side of the bed. They're not, they're not special anymore. They just become somebody that you're next to. You could see this happen within marriage where, where the, the marriage becomes profaned. It becomes common and disposable. It happens with life in our nation. If you look at abortion, we treat children, unborn children, as though they were common and disposable. One of the other things that's happening more and more is assisted suicide is becoming an okay thing. Um, and life is becoming, you know, the quality of life isn't what you want, and so you can go see this person and they'll help you end your life. Um, life is, this is happening there too. It's being profaned. It's being treated common and disposable. This definitely happens with sex in our nation. A study by Josh McDowell Ministries found that regular porn use was found to be a more moral choice than recycling. I'm not kidding. 
porn use, regular porn use, was found to be a more moral choice than recycling. So intimacy with another is cheap and disposable. Plastic is valuable. Um, It's really the environment that's valuable, and there is truth in that. The the environment is valuable. We are to be stewards of it. Uh, But we should also recognize that intimacy with another is not cheap and disposable. However, this is not the real issue. These are symptoms of a much greater issue. The real issue is distance from God and treating Him as though He were disposable. And the same thing, uh, the same thing we see this happening to the nation of Israel. It's where they're at. It's what they've done really for, for hundreds of years. And now God is acting as He said He would based upon the Mosaic Covenant um, in Leviticus chapter 26. So let's take a look at this chapter. Let's look at chapter 7 and see uh, why God cares about the patterns of our lives because they, they carry us to a destination. Um, and let's see how he res- responds to patterns of life that treat him as common and disposable. We're also going to find the gospel in this, uh, which is an amazing thing. So in verses 1 through 9, we see that according to Israel's ways or their patterns of life, God is going to judge and repay his nation. They have profaned or treated God as common and disposable, and they are soon to experience what they have done to him. Uh, So you're going to see a couple of uh, phrases repeated or similar phrases repeated. He's going to bring their ways upon them. He's going to give them what they've done. I will repay you according to your ways. This is the key, key, key phrases really in these first nine verses. Verse 1, he says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, And you, son of man, thus says the Lord God to the land of Israel, an end. The end is coming on the four corners of the land. In other words, from every direction, you're going to get the judgment that's coming to you. Now the end is upon you. I will send my anger against you. I will judge you according to your ways and bring all your abominations upon you. So that word way, is it means a pattern of life. It, it's, it's the direction that they've set themselves and they continue to walk in. We talked about abominations a few weeks ago. Abominations is something when God looks at it, it turns his stomach. It makes him sick to look upon it. For my eye will have no pity on you, nor will I spare you, but I will bring your ways upon you and your abominations will be among you. Then you will know that I am the Lord. That's another phrase that we've seen repeated throughout Ezekiel. We saw it four times last week. Then you will know that I am the Lord. And when he says that, he's saying, I've, I've made promises to you. Uh, in Leviticus chapter 26, the Mosaic Covenant, I made promises that if you followed me and if you kept my ordinances, what I said is right and wrong, and if you keep my statutes, how I said to keep right and wrong, you'll receive blessing. But if you reject my ordinances, what I say is right and wrong, and you reject my statutes, uh, how I say to keep right and wrong, then you're going to experience discipline. Okay, And that discipline has come. That judgment is upon them. And so he's saying, you'll know that I'm the Lord because I'm doing exactly what I said I would do. Verse 5, thus says the Lord, a disaster, a, a unique disaster, behold, is coming. An end has coming, an end is coming, the end has come. It has awakened against you, behold, it has come. Your doom has come to you, O inhabitant of the land. The time has come. The day is near. Uh, I always want to get dyslexic with this, this, world and, this word and say tolment, but it's, it's... Somebody else say it. That one. Rather than a joyful shouting of the mountains. Now I will shortly pour out my wrath on you and spend my anger against you. Judge you according to your ways and bring 
on you all your abominations, judge you according to your ways, and bring on you all your abominations. My eye will show no pity, nor will I spare. I will repay you according to your ways, while your abominations are in your midst. Then you will know that I, the Lord, do the smiting. So he's, he's telling them some, some interesting things here. He says he's going to bring their ways upon them. You see this word ways used multiple times. It's to tread down. And what I picture with this is like a game trail. I had a friend who uh, he, he hunted antelope and elk and all these different things. And one time he's out in eastern Nevada, and he met a, a biologist that works for the state of Nevada that tracked the animals and sort of knew their movements and what they were doing. And they're up on this hill, and the biologist, she looks at him and she says, watch this, watch this group of antelope. And off in the distance, they watch this group of antelope, and it's walking right along a fence line. And then all of a sudden, it makes a 90-degree turn and keeps walking. And, she's, and, and, and they're, he's, they're, they make this 90-degree turn right along the fence line, and then all of a sudden, 90-degree turns the other direction. And he said, why, why did they turn right there? There's, there's nothing there. There's nothing to stop their path. Why do they turn there? And he said, because for generations, there was a fence line there. For generations, there was a fence line there, and they've learned that when you hit that, you turn, you turn left and you go, you, you take a 90 and then you can make another 90 because that's where the fence line used to be. And so this group of animals, they had learned from their parents, they had learned and learned and learned and had been, and had been dropped down for generations that this is the path that you walk, regardless of whether the fence gets taken out or not. And so that's what he's saying to them. He says, that's the sort of, that's what you've done as a nation. You've set a path and you continue to walk it. And it didn't, doesn't matter if I put a stumbling block or a fence or a wall in front of you. You just keep taking the same thing. It doesn't matter if I offer you freedom to keep going a different direction. You keep taking this path that is apart from me. You've worn it down and you keep walking it. So he says, I'm going to bring that. I'm going to bring your way of life down upon you. And so there's two other words that are listed here. He says, bring and repay. You see, bring and repay rep uh, repeatedly here. Um, and the word judge is used also. Uh, bring and repay are actually the same word in the Hebrew. It means to hand down uh, or, or bring it upon someone. It's related to judge in that it, it judge, judges the statement of, I'm going to judge you according to your ways. I'm going to make an objective statement, you have done wrong. And then bring or repay is the sentencing that goes along with it. So if someone is guilty of a crime, you know, they, they stole a car, uh, they're found guilty of stealing the car, and they say, you're guilty of this, and you're sentencing, I'm going to bring or repay this sentence upon you, okay? It's the same thing God is doing. He's judging, he's saying, you're guilty, and this is your sentencing, okay? And the sentencing, as we see here, is pretty, it's pretty strict, that's exactly what he said he would do. He said, if you continue on a path where you reject me and you push me away and you seek after idols and you live in rebellion against me, then I'm going to judge you. I'm going to find you guilty of those things. And the, the punishment for them is serious. It's not, a, it's not a light thing, not a slap on the wrist, but it's going to be serious. And what you get from that, what you get from that is that God takes sin seriously. God takes sin very seriously. We have a tendency to brush it off or sweep it aside. God does not. He takes it very seriously. And really what He takes very seriously is the fact that He is God and He is the Creator and He has made us for relationship with Him. And when we push Him away, 
Uh, think about the story of Moses, or the story of Noah, right? The people grow further and further from God, and what does it say in Genesis? It says that as the people grew further and further from God, they were continually doing wrong day and night. They were continually tearing each other down and continually hurting each other. And so why God takes relationship with Him seriously is because when we have relationship with Him, there's harmony between us and Him and us and each other. And when there's distance between us and Him, there tends to be, there is, distance between us and our neighbor. And so God says, I want you to be harmonious with me and in relationship with me so that I can pour my life and love out on you so that then you would bless the person next to you. But what happens is as people push, and push God away and distance themselves from Him, they hurt other people. And so as God watches, this is what turns His stomach. As He watches His creation hurt each other, it turns His stomach, and at some point He says, I'm not going to let you hurt each other anymore. In the case of Noah, He brought a flood. In the case of Israel, He's bringing Babylon to judge them. But God will not just stand idly by and watch His creation destroy each other and do nothing. This is Him stepping into history and saying, you've, you've distanced yourself so much from me that you're hurting each other to a degree that I can no longer stomach and I'm moving in to do something. In the case of Noah, He brought a flood. In the case of Israel here, He brings Babylon. But their ways, their path was consistent. If God is this way, their way and their path was consistently that way. The opposite. And he finally has said, I've seen enough. I'm moving. Verses 10 through 14, we see God's people are set in their ways and the natural recourse of those ways is coming about. Verse 10, Behold the day, behold it is coming. Your doom has gone forth. The rod has budded. Arrogance has blossomed. Violence has grown into a rod of wickedness. None of them shall remain, none of their people, none of their wealth, nor, nor anything imminent among them. The time has come. The day has arrived. Let, the buyer, let not the buyer rejoice, nor the seller mourn, for wrath is against all their multitude. Indeed, the seller will not regain what he has sold as long as they both live, for the vision regarding all their multitude will not be averted, nor will any of them maintain his life by his iniquity. Listen to what he says. The rod has budded, arrogance has blossomed. The people have become arrogant and they think they're fine without God. They think they don't need him. They've treated him as though he were disposable. We're good without you. Violence has grown into wickedness. The, the violence of the people, their harming of each other, has, has grown into a deep-seated uh, uh, part of their demeanor. It's just who they are because they continually hurt people. They've become wickedness. And he says, the time has come, the day has arrived. Uh, you're going to buy and sell and it's going to amount to nothing. All your wealth will be worth nothing. But they've set their ways against God, and the natural recourse of those ways is coming about. If you continually to run away from the giver of life, you're bound to experience death. Actions have a natural recourse. What we do brings about something. You can't do something and expect nothing. What God is sharing with His people here is that their way of life is producing something, and it's not good. 
And ultimately, he's correcting the, the path that they've chosen. They keep walking down this path, generation after generation. God's that way, we're headed that way. God's that way, we're headed that way. And eventually, he looks at his people and he says, I, I've, I've tried, I've sent you kings that are good, I've seen, sent you prophets that bring truth. You won't listen. I'm going to do what I said I would do in Leviticus chapter 26, and you're going to receive judgment. And that's what we see in 14 through 19. There's no escaping, there's no escaping the covenant promises God made to Moses in Leviticus chapter 26. Verse 14, They have blown the trumpet and made everything ready, but no one is going to battle, for my wrath is against their multitude. The sword is outside and the plague of famine are within. He who is in the field will die by sword. Famine and plague will also consume those in the city. Even when their survivors escape, they will be, like, they will be, they will be on the mountains like doves in the valleys, all of them mourning, each over his own iniquity. All hands will hang limp, and all knees will become like water. They will gird themselves with sackcloth, and shuddering uh, will overwhelm them. And shame will be on all the faces, and baldness on all their heads. They will fling their silver into the streets, and their gold will become an abhorrent thing. Their silver and their gold will not be able to deliver them in the day of the wrath of the Lord. They cannot, they cannot satisfy their appetite, nor can they fill their stomachs, for their iniquity has become an occasion for stumbling. So he's saying here that, he says, no one is going to go to battle. Uh, this, this is going to come upon you, but you won't be able to stop it. And so you'll, the people will literally realize we can't stop this and just give up. Verse 17, it says, all hands will hang limp and knees will become like water. Uh, they're just going to be quaking at the judgment that God is going to bring to them to the point that they cannot move. And then he makes an interesting statement about their silver and their gold. Uh, basically, uh, there'll they'll be better access to silver and gold than there will be to food and flight. It, it, it'll do nothing for them. And he said, again, he's keeping his promises that he made to them in Leviticus chapter 26. I said I was going to do this. I'm going to do it. You can't escape it. When people set a willful path away from God and they continue down it, there comes a point where they reach judgment. He deals with them and there's no escaping it. Verse 20 through 27, we see that as God's people have profaned him, so too they will be treated. And you could look at this and you say, that sounds like an eye for an eye. Rather, and it's not that. It's not an eye for an eye. Rather, it's a strong reminder of the covenant uh, that the nation agreed to with God. It's also a strong reminder of what Jesus endured on our behalf. Verse 20, they transformed the beauty of his ornaments into pride. And they made the images of their abominations and their detestable things with it. Therefore, I will make it an abhorrent thing to them. They literally took God, they transformed the beauty of His ornaments into their pride. They took God and they tweaked Him into something else that would suit their fancy. 
and made their images, uh, made their abominations and their, and their detestable things with it. They've actually turned God into something that turns his own stomach. They've misrepresented him and turned him into something else, something so different than what he is. I will give it into the hands of foreigners as plunder and to the wicked of the earth as spoil, and they will profane it. I will also turn my face from them, and they will profane my secret places. Then robbers will enter and profane it. Make a chain, for the land is full of, is full of bloody crimes, and the city is full of violence. Therefore, I will bring the worst of the nations, and they will possess their homes. I will also make... I will also make the pride of the strong ones cease, and their holy places will be profaned. When anguish comes, they will seek peace, but there will be none. Disaster will come upon disaster, and rumor will be added to rumor. Then they will seek a vision from a prophet, but the law will be lost from the priests and the council of elders. They're so far from God, they don't even know what he says. The king will mourn, the prince will be clothed with horror, the hands of the people uh, of the land will, will tremble. According to their conduct, I will deal with them, and by their judgments, I will judge them, and they will know that I am the Lord. So we see that word profane used four times there. And, and what, he's, what he said leading up to this is that you've treated me a certain way and I'm going to bring those ways upon you. And then he gets here and when he brings those ways upon them, they experience what it is to be treated as common and disposable. Uh, a foreign nation will come in, the wicked of the earth. <laughs> the, the Babylonians will come and they're going to they're gonna treat you as common and disposable as, disposable as you have treated me as common and disposable. The judgment will come. He says, and they will know that I am the Lord. Listen to Leviticus chapter 26, verses 40 through 42. Because he, one, one of the clearest ways to recognize God is, that he, is by the keeping of His promises. If you want to know, how can I tell if God's really moving? Well, does it match one of His promises? Verse 40 of Leviticus chapter 26. If they confess their iniquity and their iniquity of their forefathers and their unfaithfulness which they committed against me, and also in their acting with hostility against me. I also was acting in hostility with them to bring them into the land of their enemies. Or if their uncircumcised heart becomes humbled so that they make amends for their iniquity, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob, and I will also remember my covenant with Isaac, and my covenant with Abraham as well, and I will remember the land." So at this point in Ezekiel, what we've seen is a group of people that are on a path that is consistently away from God. They're consistently moving away from Him. And what we've seen to this point is God uses Ezekiel to tell them that judgment is coming. You, you, you've lived this life, you've been iniquitous and embraced your iniquity, you've been crooked, you've been different, and, and you've embraced that crookedness. You've been a rebel and you've embraced being a rebel. Uh, you've, you've sought after idols and played the harlot and you've embraced playing the harlot. You've profaned my name and you've caused me to be understood as something that I am not. You've treated me as common and disposable and, and I'm going to judge you for that. There's no... There's no turning back. It's coming. Their heart is unrepentant, and he's going to deal with an unrepentant heart as, as he promised he would. 
And then he says in verse 40 of Leviticus chapter 20, leading into this, he says, if they confess their iniquity, if you'll recognize that you've been wrong and a rebel and you've profaned me and you've sought after idols, if you'll recognize these things and repent, I will remember my covenant and I will keep it with you. I will keep the promises. And what we see is that, is that that's what God does. I mean, to this point in Ezekiel, what we've seen is God will judge those who run away from Him. The path that you set, your, if you set a path of life that runs away from God, when you reach the end of that path, you will receive what you've been seeking, judgment and distance from God. But he says, if you repent, and repent means to turn around and go the other direction. If you repent and turn around and go the other direction, I will remember my covenant and I will bless you as I promise to bless you. Later in the book of Ezekiel, in Ezekiel 36, God promises this. He says, Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you went. I will vindicate my holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations. You've caused me to be understood as common and disposable and just like any other God. I will vindicate my ho the holiness of my great name, which you have profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when I prove myself holy among you in their sight. For I will take you from the nations, gather you from the lands, and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean, then I will sprinkle then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove a heart of stone from your flesh and from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. What we've seen to this point in Ezekiel is I will judge you for the path that you're on. In fact, the rod has budded. You've reached the end of the path. The only thing that I can do at this point is judge your unrepentant heart. But after this judgment, there will be a few that God keeps, and they'll be in the land of exile, and they will look at what they've done. They'll regret their iniquity, and they will repent, and God will remember His covenant and do these things with them. God is acting to wake them up, to judge them, to keep a remnant and wake them up. And you might go, well, what does that have to do with me? You know, I, I see what he's doing with the nation of Israel. This, this people that he's chosen, that are holy, that he's longing to reveal his character through. I see what he's doing with them. They, they've chosen a path that's away from him. They've reached the end of that path. Judgment is what they are due for their unrepentant heart. Uh, he's going to judge them. He's going to keep a remnant. That remnant will wake up and they will repent and turn back to God and he's going to keep covenant promises. But he's also adding some new covenant promises here. This is the promises of the new covenant. I will give you a new heart and put in you a new spirit. I will remove your heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. What does this have to do with me? 
One of the promises of the gospel of Jesus Christ we can find in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. And Paul is speaking here and he says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor idolaters, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And what he lists there is he lists four different types of sexual sin. He says any type of any, anyone who engages in a lifestyle where they are embrace sexual sin, uh, fornicators, those who would have uh, sexual relationship, uh, and they're not married and they just have sexual relationships with whoever, adulterers, those who are inside of a marriage covenant and they have sexual relationships with someone else. Effeminate was actually referring to a, a pretty common practice of the Greek time, and that was actually uh, uh, pedophilia. And then nor homosexuals, and that's a self-explanatory word. He, he says anyone who commits those things, who is that, is, that is their lifestyle and they embrace it, they won't know me. They won't have relationship with me. They won't inherit my kingdom. And then he lists other types of sin, and those are idolaters. And then he talks about covetous and drunkards and revilers and swindlers. The idolaters is, any, you know, you take God out of his place, you put something else there. The rest of those are people that are constantly doing harm to someone else. So he says, if you embrace a lifestyle that, that I don't, that I don't uh, call right, and you call it right, you, won't, you don't know me. If you embrace a lifestyle where you're constantly hurting someone else and removing God from his place and putting something else there, when the end of your path, when you come to the end of your path, I'm just going to look at you and you say, you don't know me, do you? No, I don't. Okay, we go our separate ways. Verse 11 of 1 Corinthians, he says, uh, chapter 6, Such were some of you, but you were washed Verse 25 of Ezekiel of 36, he says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. Such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. Sanctification is the process of God making us more like Him. It involves being a new creature, a new creation. He puts a new heart in us, a new spirit within us. He removes our heart of stone that will not listen to Him and gives us a heart of flesh that longs to be close to Him. He puts His spirit within us and, and His spirit causes us to walk in ways that are right, ways that honor Him and bless others. One of the things that we have a tendency to do with the Scriptures is we have a tendency to look at the God of the Old Testament and go, man, He sure judges a lot. And we look at the God of the New Testament and go, wow, He sure blesses a lot. He hasn't changed as, 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 the, as a matter of fact. The agreements of the, covenant, of the covenants have changed a little bit, but God has not. In the Old Covenant, He said, if you keep My statutes and My ordinances, I will bless you. If you walk down a path where you say you don't want anything to do with Me, I will give you the consequences of that path. It's not any different now. The, the difference now is that we recognize that through Jesus Christ, the consequences of a path of unrepentance and distance from God has been paid. Jesus has, you know, if there's a toll booth on the path, Jesus has paid that toll booth. He's allowed it so you can turn around and go back the other direction. He's paid everything you need to have relationship with Him. The consequences of, of us walking down a path where we say, I don't want anything to do with God, 
Uh, and then we turn around and we go, maybe I do, but I don't know how I could ever work my way back to him. Jesus looks at us and he says, you don't have to work your way back to me. I paid it. Come on. And so repentance is free. A relationship with God is free. Because uh, if you do, if you were to walk down the path far away from God and turn around and look back, you'd go, I could never make it back. And the truth of the matter is, no, you couldn't. You could never work your way back to God. But the miracle of the gospel is in the middle of that path of unrepentance is the cross of Jesus Christ. And you turn around and you look at that cross and you say, I want relationship with God and Jesus has given me access to Him. Jesus Christ has done what it takes for, for repentance to come to fruition. He's given me what I need to have a new heart. He's given me what I need to have a new spirit. He's given me what I need to be a new creation. He's given me relationship with God. It was the promise that Ezekiel made, that God made through Ezekiel in Ezekiel chapter 36, and we see that God has brought it about. And so you look at this and you go, what is the relevance to me? in these chapters in Ezekiel, the relevance to you is everybody is on a path. We've all set a path. And you can claim that there's a lot of them, but the fact of the matter is they're all variations of one or two paths. You can either choose a path where you distance yourself from God, or you can choose a path where you say, I want relationship with Him. The cost of sin is great, and the toll of that path to have relationship with God is paid through Jesus Christ on the cross. There's nothing else that pays it. You'll never work hard enough. You'll never do enough good. Uh, you'll never care about people enough in your own strength. The cross of Christ is necessary for relationship with God because sin is serious. But the question you have to ask yourself is what path have I set? Have I set a path that moves away from God? Or have I set a path through the cross of Jesus Christ towards relationship with Him? That's the question you have to answer. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this morning. Uh, Lord Jesus Christ, I thank You that You are good. Uh, as, we look at your, as we look at the pages of Scripture here, we see uh, sin is serious. But far more serious than, than the individual acts of sin is the decision to move away from you or to move towards you. As we've gone through this, we see that we're born with a disposition to move away from you. We're born with the disposition to remove you from your place and put something else there. We're born with the disposition to stiff-arm you and push you away. We're born with the disposition to, to treat you as common and disposable, something, someone we don't really need. And if we keep walking down that path, you'll, you'll give us the consequences of it. You'll allow us to experience what we're chasing life apart from you, which is no life at all. But greater than that is that you will also, you have done what it takes for us to be back in relationship with you. You've paid the price to allow us to move towards you. And in fact, you've moved us towards you. 
And so, Lord Jesus, may we never lose the wonder of the cross. May we never forget what you've done for us, the, the penalty that you paid, the price that you paid on our behalf so that we could have relationship with you and so that we could be made new. Pray that each of us carefully thinks about, uh, prayerfully thinks about the paths of our lives. In each area of our lives, are, are we setting places within our finances where we're moving towards you? Are we setting places uh, in our sexual purity where we're moving towards you? Are we setting places uh, with, with, with our, uh, uh, our use of media where we're moving towards you? Are we setting places where our eyes are looking at the opposite sex where we're moving towards you? God, will you evaluate each and every area of our lives and show us if we're moving towards you, we long to be sanctified, to be conformed to the image of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And if there's someone who's on their own path, may they recognize that our own path is always one that's in the opposite direction of you. When arrogance buds, it brings forth violence. When pride buds, it brings forth wickedness. God, may we recognize that if we've chosen our own path, it is only a path away from you. And I pray that you would, you would lead us to repentance. That your kindness of the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ would lead us to repent and return to you, our maker, our Lord, our creator. So for each believer in this room, Lord, I pray that you show us the paths of our lives where we are choosing to walk a different direction than you. And for those who do not yet know you in this room and have not yet made a choice to trust in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray that today is their day of salvation. That today they would move from self-centeredness and idolatry, uh, making something other than you, God. And that they would repent of that and trust in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ and enjoy relationship with you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.